Hi everyone, I'm Darren Nair, the creator and host of Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We're currently taking an extended break right now because I'm dealing with health issues. We will be back once I have fully recovered. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy and take care. Welcome to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. We work to free hostages and the unjustly detained around the world. Together with their families, we share their stories and let you know how you can help bring them home. Now, when it comes to using the family to get for Russia to get what they want, if that's the case, they've picked the wrong family because I'm not going to carry water for the Russian authorities. These are some of the most courageous and resilient people among us. I never thought that my mother, Nahi Tagavi, will ever have a link to negotiations in Vienna about the JCPOA. That's so crazy. People who have never given up hope. Trevor told his girlfriend to tell me to, to be strong. So I'm trying to be strong for Trevor. You know, if, if Trevor can cope with what he's dealing with, exactly. we, we can sure cope with the stress. People who will never stop working to reunite their families. We'd like to meet with the president. Uh, we believe that, you know, he has, uh, he's surrounded by lots of uh, experienced and educated advisors, but I don't believe that any of them have ever had a, a child taken hostage by a foreign country, especially not a superpower like Russia. And we'll be right there by their side until their loved one comes back home. Because um, if enough people care, then the right people will care enough. I'm Darren Nair, and I've been campaigning with many of these families for years. When I first started campaigning with these families, I noticed they struggled to get the media attention they needed. So I decided to create this podcast, which is a safe space for the families to speak as long as they need to about their loved ones and what needs to be done to bring them home. Nobody can prepare you for what our family is going through. Even if someone had told me one year before, in one year, this is going to happen, prepare yourself. It's impossible. Thank you for listening and welcome to Port Hostage Diplomacy. Shahab Dalili is an American permanent resident from Virginia. He's a husband and a father. His wife and children are all US citizens. In 2016, Shahab went to Tehran to attend his father's funeral. He was then arrested and has been wrongfully imprisoned in Iran to this day. Iran has a long history of taking foreign nationals and residents hostage to gain concessions from their home country. This is state-sponsored hostage-taking, also known as hostage diplomacy. Shahab is not the only American currently held hostage in Iran. The Iranians are also holding captive Siamak and Bakir Namazi, Imad Shargi and Morad Tabaz. Today we have the honor of speaking to Shahab's son Daryan Dalili. Darian, we're so sorry for what you, your father, and your family are going through. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, can you please walk us through what happened to your father? Sure. Um, so back in uh, April 2016, he was uh, arrested on his uh, way to the airport, to the Imam Khomeini airport. Um, he was uh about to board a flight to fly back to the U.S. after attending, after having attended my grandfather's funeral. Um, and on his way to the airport, the taxi that he was, uh, you know, he was in was pulled over and he was arrested in the middle of the night. Um, we didn't learn about him being arrested until hours after we were 
we were expecting him to land in the Dallas airport. So you can imagine like just waiting in the Dallas airport, waiting for him to arrive. And then everybody has already uh, disembarked the plane, but he's not there. You know, that sense of worry. Um, hours later, we, you know, our minds were like, is he even alive? What has happened to him? Because the last we knew of him was he got on a taxi to get to the airport, but now, you know, it doesn't seem like he was ever on the plane. So uh took several hours, close to 24 hours, until we actually learned, okay, he never even got to the airport. He was arrested. Uh, yeah, so that was the first of it. And then um, for several days, close to maybe a couple of weeks, we weren't able to hear anything from him. We just heard from other people who like got in contact with like the um, the authorities in Iran who have arrested him and you know let us know that yes, he's been arrested. It took a it took a few weeks before he was able to reach out to us directly himself. Um, we learned that he has been questioned. He's been um, basically lied to. He's been threatened with our safety. Like they tried to trick him into thinking that my mother has flown to Iran and now like he has to give them the answers that they want in order to kind of uh, make sure that my mother is not arrested, which that was not true at all. My mother never flew to Iran. So they, they lied and tricked him into getting him to say what they wanted him to say, um, get false confessions. And um, he was thrown in, uh, you know, he was imprisoned in solitary confinement for uh, I would say two to three weeks. I'm not exactly sure how many days, but it was probably around three weeks. Um, this was all back in like the very early days of his uh, imprisonment back in 2016. Um, since then, he has been moved to the to the the they call it the ward, the ward that all the you know the, the high security uh, political prisoners are kept in, um, and um, yeah, so he's been able to call us every now and again. Usually he, he manages to call once or twice a week. All right, so thanks for that. And I'm sorry for what happened to your father. Now, does your father have any medical conditions? And if so, was he given the medical care he needs? Um, there is no, like, his medical condition is simply the fact that, you know, he's, he's, he is 60, 60 years old now. Um, you know, he's starting to have the same sort of like joint pains and, you know, the sort of pains that men his age would have, especially, uh, you know, being in the prison, you don't get the nutrition and the exercise that you probably need. So um, that's the sort of he kind of tells us that, yeah, I have this pain like in my uh, in this joint or that joint. Um, but it hasn't been anything too serious. It's just that you're worried for him because, you know, a man his age should not be in that condition. Um, as far as the medical care, uh, I'm, I believe he has, um, mentioned his joint pains to whatever, you know, people that they have over there in the Evan prison, but nothing, nothing that have like made, it hasn't been diagnosed or it hasn't been seen, uh, important enough to like take him to a hospital or anything. But we are worried about the fact that he's starting to get to, to get to that the state uh, of his life that he really needs to be cared for. So we are worried about that, of course. Now, Iran's judicial system is notoriously unfair. Um, was your father given access to a lawyer and what was his trial like? So, yeah, he, we, we were able to uh, 
you know, take the lawyer. Um, it, the lawyer himself later was like maybe a year or two later after he started working for my father, the lawyer himself was arrested under like suspicion of having written things in uh, publications that were anti-regime. Um, um, as far as the trial, so it was the, the funny, the, the most interesting thing, saddest thing, and in a tragic way, funny thing about the trial was that, so my father's main defense was that the reason you guys are putting me in prison is that you have found a couple of emails that I that have like an email communication between me and an American individual. And you're calling that espionage. But what has been discussed in those emails is like, is by no means confidential. What has been discussed, I wasn't giving them anything. I wasn't giving them any secret information. Um, we were discussing like what was already known to the public and what was in the news. And then the judge, um, tells him that even discussing the weather with an American individual is espionage, is against the law. So I, that sentence being used in, a, in an official court hearing, you know, in an official court trial, the judge was bold enough to say something as ridiculous and as senseless as that. Um, it's, it's, it's been haunting me since. So how many years in prison has he been sentenced? 10, 10 years. Okay. And he's six years into that sentence at the moment. Uh, slightly more than six, yeah. like a few months more than six. I think according to Iranian law, you have this opportunity to be released early for, uh, I, I forget the reason. Good behavior. Yes, good behavior. behavior. So you have to have served two thirds of your sentence. So your dad's already done yeah. that. So is he not um, eligible for release according to Iranian law? There has been... Uh, uh, starting a couple of months ago, we heard stuff about this uh, release for good behavior. And my aunt has been following up, trying to get that, trying to see if that works out. But she told us that it's going to be a lengthy process. So don't be expecting anything today or next week or in the next couple of weeks. But we are hopeful that maybe this, this does happen early 2023, for example, um, maybe mid 2023. Um, the only, um, however, Usually when they get do get released for good behavior, they're still not able to leave the country until the actual 10 years is up. So for that last one third of his sentence, he'd be out of prison. He'd be a free person, but within the borders of Iran. I don't, I don't, that's what, that's what we have heard that even if he does get that good behavior uh, release, he wouldn't be able to come back to you until the 10 years is over. So just to take a step back for the benefit of our listeners, can you please tell them more about your father's background as in his education, his job, etc.? Sure. So my father, um, right now he's been retired for several years. He was retired before his imprisonment. Um, so, but, uh, his profession was he worked for the IRISL. That's the Iranian shipping lines. So it's kind of a, foreign notion to people who live in the US and or live in the UK, for example, that trade ships or trading, um, you know, trading vessels would be government operated because in, in, the, in the Western countries, these are all usually done by private entities and private companies. That's not the case in Iran. In Iran, um, sea trade is really governed by the government. 
is something that the government does. So the IRISL is this entity that's in charge of trade via, you know, via sea. And my father worked for them. Um, so he would have started at a, like, from a low cadet position. When I say cadet, that doesn't mean in the military sense, a, cadet, a civilian cadet that is working on a trade ship. And he would have to, he worked his way up to, you know, fourth officer, third officer, second officer, uh, then, you know, first officer and then captain. And, uh, so when he was on a ship, he would be a captain. When he wasn't on a ship and he was, uh, back on land, he would be, um, he would go to the office and work out of the office for the IRASL. Um, um, he actually got his, uh, the degree, I'm not sure exactly what degree that I always forget the name of the degree that he has, but the degree that he has that qualified him for that job, he actually uh, received that in India. My father went to college in India. Um, in uh, Back then it was called uh, Bombay. Now it's called Mumbai, that city. Um, yeah, so that's his education. Um, um but yeah, so that's his profession. And uh, so the, the, those emails that I mentioned with an American individual, this was a person that he had met while he was like on a, for example, on a trip uh, sanctioned by IRASL on a trip that they were sending him on. For example, let's say to London, he would go to London to attend a seminar, for example. And then he would happen to meet people at this seminar and then they would become, you know, they would change contact information because they were going to, they were going to be seeing each other in the next seminar next year and next year, you know, the same, the same sort of way that anyone would find professional contacts. And, um, you know, and then for example, this per this person or some other person, not only Americans, people from other nationalities would, uh, you know, they would have email communications, like, what do you think about this new thing in the news? What do you think about this thing that has happened? And they would have, those, and then now they're using those email communications to to tell that he was a spy or he was doing espionage, even though nothing in those emails was by any means confidential. Nothing in those emails by, by was any uh, was by any means things that, like, couldn't be discussed by any means. It was all public information, things that people would know just by reading the news. Um, he never gave any information that he would have known because his like because of his job he would have known and then he wasn't supposed to share it with anyone. He never shared anything like that. So the whole fact that the judge said, even if you're discussing the weather with an American, that's espionage. That just, to me, uh, reveals the, the hypocrisy of the system. The, the fact that they they themselves know that what they are doing is wrong when the, when the judge comes up and says a sentence like that. No, I absolutely agree. Um, now, when was the last time you spoke to your father and how is he doing right now? Actually today, earlier today, he was because he knows that Saturday, Sundays I'm home. So whenever he can, he tries to call. So I actually spoke with him just uh, like maybe four or five hours ago. Uh, a short five to seven minutes long conversation. That's usually it is. You know, it can't be longer than that. Um, my father is, is a very outwardly strong character. He, even if he happens to be like, have an illness, if he happens to be in pain, he's not the sort of person to show it. Um, so, and especially when he calls us, he always try to 
start the conversation and talk with a very positive energy. You know, he tries to, I can feel that it's, he's trying. It's not coming to him naturally. He tries to laugh often. He tries to like say things that makes it sound like he's right here and having a normal conversation with us. Um, and that has helped us deal with this. The fact that he is so positive, the fact that he has tried his best to remain positive, even though he's in a awful, he's in awful conditions. He's a very strong man. He's a very strong character. Um, so he is, but yeah, I can tell that he's, uh, he's sad and depressed like all of us. Again, I'm sorry that this is happening to you, your father, to you and to your family. Now, I know these last six years have obviously been very traumatic. Um, how have you been coping and the rest of your family? Um, my first reaction was, especially because of the fact that for, for about 24 hours or so, we had no idea even if he was alive. You know, I told you about going to the airport, evading the, all the passengers to get, out, get off the plane and then not seeing him. That was, that was a stressful. So for the first 24 hours, I was, I was, I was scared. I was afraid. Um, and when I learned that he was alive, that he was physically fine, that was a relief. Um, when I learned what was the charges that he was being arrested for, that was, I was like, there's no, there's no way that this is going to stay, that the condition, the situation is going to stay for a long time because this is ridiculous. They should, they should very soon realize how ridiculous and how silly this is, but they didn't. Um, and then since then, it's just been, you know, trying my best to stay as positive as I possibly can, trying to reach out to different people, um, different people in the in the U.S. Uh, government, both in the previous administration and then in this current administration, trying to get support from my father. Um, it's been especially difficult for my mom and my younger brother. Um, I believe, uh, you know, my mother is... Uh, she's also starting to get to sort of stage in her life to an age that uh, it's not easy for her not having her husband around. It's very hard. It's very hard on the whole family. I would say it's it's also really it's been really hard for my brother. He was 14 when my father 14 15 when my father was arrested. He was at an age that um yeah he was 15 he was 15 when my father was arrested. He was at an age that he really needed a father figure in his life. Um, I was older, you know, I was 21, so 20, 20, I was 21. So being a 21 year old, you know, I was less dependent on that parent figure, but being a 15 year old, that's a really, really bad age to have this father figure, have your father removed from your life, or at least, uh, know that he is somewhere, you know, being Knowing that he's there and he doesn't have access to us and we don't have access to him, it's been it's been really hard for him, especially. Um, I don't know how I would have coped if this has happened to me when I was fifteen. Um, um, but yeah, for those two, it's been especially difficult. I've I've I've, I've tried to remain the strong figure, the positive figure. Whenever I feel, whenever I see them, like um, getting all emotional, tearing up you know, crying a little bit over the, over things. I try to be the stronger one. I try to be the positive one, try to tell them that 
we have to be thankful that he's fine, that he is alive, that he he's well he's well enough to be able to call us every now and again. That um, you know, because of the fact that he is a very strong character, we have to be strong for him as well. Um, so I, I've I've tried to be the stronger one out of the three of us. Um, but yeah, it's been especially hard on those two. Now we know the main culprit here is the Iranian regime, the Iranian authorities. Um, what should they be doing? They should be having a look at themselves in the mirror, just thinking of why they're doing this. Like, because, like, when that judge, I, I again come back to that sentence that that judge said, because you guys know that he hasn't done anything wrong. You guys know that he hasn't shared any sensitive confidential information. You guys know that he hasn't done anything that could be reasonably labeled as espionage or anything illegal. They, sh- they should be, they should be just, they should release him. They should release him and they should allow him to come back to us. What should the U.S. government be doing better? I, I like people like Ambassador Carstens um, or Mr. Ma- uh, Mr. Malley to, um, and, you know, everyone at the Biden administration to do not forget of all the different people that are either citizens or permanent residents of the U.S. that are imprisoned in Iran. Remember them all, including my father. Do not, uh, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to gauge what stage of negotiations we are at every day. It seems like every day, oh, it's cold, now it's, uh, now it's hot again, now it's cold again, now it's hot again, the negotiations between the two countries. But whatever happens, if these negotiations get to, get to a point that U.S. gives some sort of a advantage, some sort of a concession to Iran in any way, Without people like my father coming home, that's a huge failure. That's devastating. If if we reach that point without that happening, that is devastating. So, um, just don't forget my father. You know, the people who are at, sitting at those sitting at that table, people who are active in those negotiations, don't forget my father and people like him. Absolutely. Now you mentioned Ambassador Roger Carstens. He is the current U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. Uh, his team works to bring Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained overseas or abroad back home. Um, has your father's case been taken up by the SPIHAR team or the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs team? As far as I know, they are a, they are aware of his case and they are aware of him very much so because I've made sure that I've made that I've made the case for him to all those people both in the previous administration and now in the new administration. I have written uh, a letter to Ambassador Carstens that I you know through the sources that I had available to me tried to get it to him. I hope he has seen the letter. I, I hope he has read it. I haven't received any response. I haven't received any acknowledgement that, yes, we got your letter, but I hope that he has. Um, um, but as far as I know, officially, my father's case is still on the Iranian affairs desk and not on the SPH desk, which is, which is um, disappointing, to say the least. So your father 
Mark's case is not classified as wrongfully detained, like the other Americans, uh, Shamak and Bakr Namazi, Ahmad Shargi, and Murat Tabaz. Unfortunately, uh, the last the last conversation that I had with people at the DOS, that's what they told me that yes, we cannot officially classify your father as a wrongfully detained case. So the Levinson Act has been signed into law. It covers Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained overseas, both citizens and residents, um, as in permanent residents like your father. And section two, subsection A explicitly states the criteria um, that can be used to classify whether or not an individual is wrongfully detained. So I know one family that was initially assigned to the consular affairs desk and they took this Levinson Act. They wrote a letter to Secretary Blinken, provided evidence, supporting evidence for each point in that criteria saying, my loved one meets this criteria. Here's the evidence. And they did it for every criteria in section two, subsection A of the Levinson Act. They sent a letter to Secretary Blinken, and then they got a reply from Ambassador Carsten saying, I agree that your loved one meets this criteria to be classified as wrongfully detained. Uh, my team has now taken on your loved one's case. Um, so have you tried something like that? Or has, anyone, or, or has anyone even told you that is a possibility? Yes, we have been told by uh, by people that are advising us that that's the case. Um, and I have in the in the in, I have written a letter to Ambassador Carstens, and I have written a letter to Secretary Blinken. I've written letters to both, um, and in both those two letters, I did bring up that the Levinson Act. Um, does protect people like my father. Um, like I said, I have not received any acknowledgement that those letters were even read. Um, uh, I didn't do that. The only part that I haven't done that you mentioned is going through every every different part of the act and providing specific evidence for each part because I was told that the fact that he was a permanent resident at the time of arrest is enough. That that's that's enough. There is there's nothing else that you need to tell them. Just the fact that 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 he was a permanent resident protects him, uh, makes the Levinson Act apply to him, and that's what I mentioned. You know, I, I mentioned that the Levinson Act should protect somebody who's a permanent resident, like my father. Like I said, I haven't seen any reaction to any of those letters, which is very disappointing. Has the U.S. government publicly called for your father's release? As far as I know, no. I have I have followed the news. I have followed the interviews. They have never uh, a U.S. government official has never mentioned my father's name. Has any member of the U.S. Congress publicly called for your father's release? Publicly, no, not publicly. I'm sorry to hear that. They should. Um, what should President Biden do? Just whatever di sort of dipl diplomatic action that would get him home. At this point, I don't know anymore. Is it? Is it? Do they think that publicly naming him, I would I would be definitely happy to hear a Biden administration official publicly naming my father as one of the people that they want to bring home, as one of the people that they want Iran to release. That would be that would be great if they publicly acknowledge him. Um whatever that would bring my father home as soon as possible. Like 
this this shouldn't be this shouldn't be that hard. You have a person over there that they are saying has committed espionage that has not. The evidence against him is is laughable. They, it's it's a bunch of emails discussing the news. They should they should not allow the negotiations to reach any sort of positive result for Iran if my father is not being released. So if you could speak to President Biden today, what would you say to him? Do not forget my father. And when you are naming people that have to be released, that those four names that you keep naming, that's not everyone. There are more. There are eight, nine people and my father is there. Make sure you name all of them. I absolutely agree. Um, what can journalists and the news editors do to help? Because like you said, um, I see in the news, uh, they keep repeating the four names, uh, the Namazis, uh, Emma Shargi and Murat Tapaz, but they don't cover the other Americans uh, held in Iran. So obviously a media can play a big part here in raising awareness. So in your opinion, what can journalists and news editors do to help, especially American media? Keep posing that question. Keep bringing up names like the name of my father in their interviews with like, you know, the speaker of the DOS, for example, whoever's that the the of the government official who's giving those talks who's being interviewed who's giving who's answering those questions put them under pressure ask what about Shahab Dalili do you know of him let's see what they say publicly um try and try and just you know force the attention to be not only on those four people but on all american citizens and residents that are imprisoned in iran i think i think the journalists have a very, uh, a very strong act, a very strong tool in their hands because they are the, they are the people who speak to power. They are the people who cover powerful people, who cover our politicians. They are the people who, uh, have to keep, uh, making sure politicians are, you know, accountable to what they should be accountable for. I think journalists, if they ask the questions that, Address, that address people like my father, that would be helpful. What can the American public do to help bring your father home? Call your representatives, call your senators, um, tell them that, do you know of these people? People apart from those four people that keep being named, do you know that there are more? Do you know that there are eight or nine? Why is nobody doing anything to bring them all home? Um, just... That's, I think that's what the public should be doing. The public should be, um, that's, that's, that's the way that they can help is by, you know, raising it with their representatives in, in the House of the Senate. Darren, we're almost at the end of our interview. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Um, just that don't forget us. Um, don't forget my father. And, uh, next time, hopefully it won't be the case. But if you do hear them naming only four people, know that there are more. Just know, just just remember that there are more, and remember that um, if if these negotiations, God forbid, reach a point that Iran gets what Iran wants without people like my father being released, that that is a devastating result for several families over here at the U.S. Darian, we say this to all the families we campaign for. We'll be right here by your side until your father comes back home to Virginia. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you for the time. Thank you for giving me the time to bring these points up and, you know, make my voice be heard. You're very welcome. It's an honor to help.
Thank you for listening to Pod Hostage Diplomacy. Thank you for giving your time and for showing these families that they're not alone, that there are good, caring people out there willing to stand by their side and help in any way possible. Because、um, if enough people care, then the right people will care enough.、Um, this is sort of a basic、um, rule of thumb that is true for all campaigning. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our fortnightly newsletter called the Hostage Briefing. It's the best way to keep up to date with the cases we're working on, as well as new episodes. You can subscribe to this newsletter using the link in the description of this podcast episode that you're currently listening to. Thanks again, and take care.